Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. The principles of honesty and integrity that Sam Lehman founded his business on continue today over 55 years later at Sam Lehman Chevrolet Buick in Eureka. Owned and operated by the Birchie family, Sam Lehman in Eureka appreciates the support they've received from their customers all over central Illinois and beyond. Visit them today at LehmanGM.com. I love learning about the topic of friendship, and our guest today spent a long time researching what exactly the Bible has to say about friendship. Kim Weir is our guest, and she's going to share her insights and timeless truths in a relatable way. She lays out specific ways we can defeat loneliness in our lives and instead pursue the gift of friendship. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Kim. Laura, it is such a delight to be with you. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And will you just get us started off by sharing a snapshot of your life right now? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) There's so many pictures. Well, I'm sitting in my home office where I work remotely, but pretty much was home office before all of the craziness started with my two office mates who are over there licking each other in the chair. So that tells you that we're pet people. (laughs) So that's a big snapshot. I have my stray dog on the back porch and my new stray cat on the front porch and my four adult kids scattered around the state of Texas. And so a snapshot for me is just trying to keep up with everybody as they're all headed in different directions. And um, it's just a sweet place to be in life. I'm grateful. Hearing you speak previously, it sounds like faith is a big part of your life. Is that true? It has been a journey for me from coming to know Jesus as my Savior to growing through the years to learn to not only depend on Him, but just to be available to Him. The delights of just being in God's hands and being used by God in a a way that's just surrendered day to day has just been the journey of my life. And What I love more than anything is inviting particularly women into that same experience. There are delights untold in being knowing God, being God's friend, and then being in service to God because it's one giant adventure. Oh, that's well said. And a big way that you do that is through your unique work. So can you share a little bit more about your line of work? Sure. Well, I think like everybody, we all serve God in different ways. And so I have had the opportunity, obviously, my greatest ministry in life has always been raising my family. But um, now they're all off adult kids, raising their own families, doing their own thing. And so I really get to focus so much on women and women's ministry. And so a big part of what I do is leading local women's ministry and a ministry to young moms and a ministry to women who are hitting retirement and are not sure what to do with their lives. It's greatly focused on getting women into God's word so that they can know him firsthand as a friend. Um, When I'm not doing that as sort of my ministry in my local church, then I also am, I guess the easiest way to say it is just a Christian communicator. I'm a talk radio host on a Christian station out of Houston, Texas, and I get an opportunity to just talk about where faith intersects life in every possible way. I am an author, just had a book out called The Art of Friendship, and followed that up with a podcast that I love doing 
called the Art of Friendship podcast, where we talk about relationships and the significance. And then before COVID, and I hope after COVID, one of the delights of ministry for me is just getting to show up and be with women one-on-one to get to talk about his word at events. And so it kind of all just centers around the same thing. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Hmm. And will you share a little bit more about the backstory behind your idea to author this most recent book that you mentioned, The Art of Friendship? Oh my goodness. I would love to talk about um, women and relationships because that's really what this was born out of. I know that my experience that I'm going to share with you isn't unique because I work in women's ministry, which means I'm with women all the time. And I know that one of the greatest struggles that women in every stage of life face We always think it's just our stage of life, but it's not that every stage of life face is loneliness and it's the epidemic that is silent. And I have struggled with that off and on in my own life. Um, I was a kid who was raised in a family that moved a lot. So we moved every two years. And what that meant was I never felt this sense of belonging. I never really developed the skills for building long-term relationships. And you don't realize at the time, but of course, Looking back, you kind of go, ah, that's where that pattern came from. And so I've always struggled with things that kind of arise out of that, insecurities, um, and you just kind of cope. Well, first time I ever lived somebody's long-term, Laura, was the town that we're in now. And when we got married, I told my husband, really, the only thing that I want, the only commitment that I really want from you is that I don't want to move around. I want to find a hometown and stay there. I want my kids to have what I didn't have. And we've been blessed to be able to be in the same town now um, where we raised, birthed our kids and raised our kids. And so it really is a hometown to me. And this is the first place where I developed lasting friendships. And that sort of was an easy thing to do, Laura. I don't know about you, but when you're a mom with young kids, you're all at the playground together or you're all you know, at the ballpark together or you're at the school functions together and you're thrown together with a group of people that have a lot in common. And I was so thankful for that. And through obviously our connections at church, which really became family for us, we developed our first really godly friendships. And so for a lot of years, that was just a new thing that I was experiencing for the first time. Well, by the time Laura and my kids got into junior and high school, We wanted to be that house where all the other kids could come, right? You know, we wanted our kids to bring their friends home. And so it turned out that actually takes a lot of time and energy and focus. So I didn't realize I was doing it at the time, but I started pulling away from my friendships. And slowly by slowly, it turned out that my kids' friends, in a sense, were our friends. And in other words, they were what was taking up our time. And it wasn't until... Our kids sort of got out of high school and our first one started to get married. Was go- We were going through that wedding planning process that I'm like, oh, goodness. I looked up and all the old insecurities started rising to the surface. I hadn't developed friendships in a while. I hadn't invested in people. I pulled away. And Laura, I was so anxious. I told this one friend that I still had who was, who was wanting to have a shower for us. I said, I don't think anybody will come. I don't know that anybody would want to come to anything we're having because I haven't spent time with people in so long. And that was sort of the start of a journey of soul searching to say, what, why do I feel this way? There's got to be more to relationships. God, what is your plan for that? How did I get in this place of loneliness and isolation? And being a Bible teacher, the first thing 
that I did was to go into God's word and look to see what plan he had, because he has a plan for everything, Laura. He always does. And the journey that it took me on and the truths that I discovered completely transformed my own understanding of friendship, the way I function in friendships, the way I make myself available to other people, the way I see my relationship with God, it transformed everything. And I just wanted to share that with other women who are struggling both in relationships and with loneliness the same way I was. Well, and before we dive into all of those lessons that you learned, first of all, I just want to say that I appreciate you sharing openly how you prioritize your kids' friendships above your own when they were younger. But that just makes me think of all the parents listening who have children still in the home. So, Kim, would you say that it's possible for parents and children to have their own flourishing friendships at the same time? It has to be possible. Uh, definitely, if I were able to go back and do it again, Laura, from the lessons I learned, I realized what I did wrong. Yes, it does take time and intentionality to create a safe home and to even create a haven where kids who need that place to come can be. But we can do it without sacrificing friendships, our own friendships on the altar of our children's lives. I did learn that. And But let me just say this. You're not just robbing yourself when you make your own family the end all and the top priority of everything that you do. God has designed you to be his representative to other people in the world. And if we circle the wagons around our own homes and everything deals with them and we're not willing to sacrifice anything because of our own children, our, our own family relationships, then what we are sacrificing is some of the purpose that God has for us in the greater world. So those are some of the things that I learned. And I I hope that those who are listening who treasure their family so much will not also miss the joy of God using you in the lives of other people that he desires for you to represent him to. And now a brief message from our sponsor. Sam Lehman Chevrolet Buick in Eureka has been owned and operated by the Birchie family for over 25 years. A lot has changed in the car business since Sam and Stephen's grandfather, Sam Lehman, opened his first Chevrolet dealership over 55 years ago. If you visit their dealership today, though, you'll find that not everything has changed. They still operate their dealership like their grandfather did, with honesty and integrity. Sam and Stephen understand that you have many different choices in where you buy or service your vehicle. This is why they do everything they can to make the car buying process as easy and hassle-free as possible. They are thankful for the many lasting friendships that began with a simple, welcome to Sam Layman's. Their customers keep coming back because they experience something different. I've known Sam and Steven and their wives my entire life, and I can vouch for their character and integrity, which makes it easy to highly recommend you check them out today. Your car buying process doesn't have to be something you dread. So come see for yourself at Sam Layman Chevrolet Buick in Eureka. Sam and Steven would love to see you, and they appreciate your business. Learn more at their website, laymaneureka.com, or visit them on Facebook by searching for Sam Layman Eureka. You can also call them at 309-467-2351. Thanks for your sponsorship. In your book, you elevate friendship to the level where God intended it to be. So will you share how God revealed to you the biblical framework for friendship? So part of this whole idea of loneliness 
because I think that is the core driver. That's the felt need that we have, right? We, we know when we feel lonely. Part of the reason that we feel that is specifically because we were created not to be alone. It's in our DNA to be part of community. If you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, in the beginning, God created, right? We get this six-day record of all that God created, the billions of unique marvels from slugs to lice to uh, comets to the Milky Way to plants like the Pride of Barbados. I mean, just think of all the multitudes of things he made. And every one of those things God looked at after he created it and he said, this is very good. And then he made only one thing in all the universe that he looked at and said, not good. And that was the condition of man. He looked at man in the way that he made him. He made him in his image, but he looked at that and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. And then he created a helper for man. He he fashioned Eve out of a rib. Now, there's a whole context that's important of a man and woman relationship that we could talk about, but, but let's just imagine this first. God said that he made mankind in his image. He said, in our image, we will make them. To be made in the image of God is to be made as an us. God is part of a Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image. There's no way I can explain the Trinity. There's nobody that can fully explain the Trinity. Our finite minds can't grasp how God could be one and three at the same time. But the record of scripture is clear. God is in us. He lives in community. And for us to be made in his image means that we reflect his image best when we are in us, when we are in community. So our us relationships play out with other people. Yes, a man and a wife relationship is an us, but so is a friend relationship. And there are all of these different contexts that we see relationship in scripture law. We see father, son, mother, daughter, husband, wife. But the only relationship in scripture that's actually commanded for all people is friendship. That's it. Not everybody is commanded to marry. In fact, scripture says that it's a gift for some not to marry, but everybody is commanded to be a friend. John 15, um, Jesus, who is the exact representation of God, right? He shows us what God is like. He was talking with his friends and he said to them, that he was going to explain to them this whole concept of what their calling is. And in John 15, Jesus says this, he says, this is my command that you love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that you lay down your life for your friend. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servant. A servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I called you friend and everything I learned from my father, I made known to you. You didn't choose me. I chose you go and love each other. So not only are we commanded to go be a friend, we're commanded to go be a friend in the same way that Jesus says he's a friend to us. I mean, that is something to marvel at, that God wants to be our friend, that he wants to know us, and that he set the example of what that kind of divine friendship looks like, that it's somebody who will lay down their life, put the interest of others first, somebody who will be transparent, and tell everything that they know to another person, really let them in, and that they'll choose first, that they'll choose before somebody chooses them. And so it's sort of that picture of, I was created by God to be part of community so that I could best reflect him. 
And Jesus has defined what that looks like, that it is self-sacrificing, transparent, and it's willing to go first and not wait for other people. That is the, the foundation then of how I move forward in developing, growing, reestablishing relationships where the connections have sort of come apart from neglect on my part. There's so much more that scripture says, but it all starts, Laura, right there with understanding that we have a divine calling by God to be a friend and that he himself has modeled it as our friend. So in John 15, in the NIV, starting with verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. So let's just take each of these a little bit further when we play it out within our current friendships, what does it actually look like for us to maybe not just lay down, but lay aside our lives for others? Yeah, well, I'm glad you said that, because if you translate that word that, that is lays down one's life, that word actually can be translated lays aside. Now, we know Jesus literally laid down his life. He gave up his physical life for us. It is what bought our salvation. Um, but we, and scripture also says that rarely will one lay down his life for his friend, but we do lay aside our lives. And that simply means that we put somebody else's interests above our own. It doesn't mean we don't care for our interests. God gives us that responsibility, but it does mean that we are willing to put their interests above our own. Philippians 2 describes that. Paul talks about that, what it looks like to, if you have any love or any compassion in Christ, here's what it looks like, that you don't think more highly of yourself than you ought, but that you would care more for the interests of others. Um, it doesn't say we don't think highly of ourselves. We just don't think so highly of ourselves that we think our interests should come first. When the intersection comes where you have a choice to pursue your interests at the sacrifice of your friends or sacrifice your interest for the interest of your friend, that you're willing to sacrifice yours. Now, here's the beautiful thing. It doesn't happen that often, right? In our friendships, in our friendships, so often our interests are similar. We're headed in the same direction. But to be willing to lay aside our interest sacrificially is a signifier of the kind of love Jesus is talking about. It's the kind of thing that he did. It probably was, would have been in Jesus' best interest, obviously, not to go to the cross. But when the intersection of our best interest and his best interest came in to be, he chose to put ours first. And then I love with the next two verses that you drew out of the scripture that it's talking about transparency. So let me just read these verses 14 and 15. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. If we're applying this, then how do we evaluate our own level of transparency, especially if we want to model our lives after Jesus? One of the scariest things about friendship is transparency, I find, to, to open yourself up, because when you do that, you are giving this new acquaintance or this person that you're just developing a relationship with, or even a good friend, you're giving them the ability to judge you. You're saying, this is who I am. This is the real me. Here are my fears. Here are my concerns. You're, you're telling them your hurts. And when you do that, it makes you vulnerable. And that is a hard place for us to get because we instinctively want to self-protect. But 
if we're modeling after Jesus, who specifically says, look, I, I'm telling you everything. I'm making known to you what my father has made known to me. Now, did he do that for everybody at every level? Did everybody receive the same thing? No, he didn't. Because Jesus also had intimate friends that were different than sort of peripheral friends that were very different than crowds and acquaintances. So he was wise with who he shared with, but there were no qualifiers. He didn't take that close group of friends and say, well, I'm only going to share with you if, or I'm only going to give you this much. I think it's Ernest Hemingway that said, the only way to know if you can trust someone is to trust someone. And it's scary because somebody will prove untrustworthy when you do that. But that's part of sacrifice. That's part of laying down your own self-interest of self-protection to say, I'm willing to risk it because the only way to develop true reciprocal friendship is through transparency. And that next section about I didn't choose you or you didn't choose me, I chose you, that gives you the order in which you're to go, go first. (laughs) You're supposed to choose. Don't sit around waiting for somebody to do this first. Go first, choose first. And so let's just finish that and unpack it a little bit further. So verses 16 and 17, they say, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. If someone just needs you to lay out exactly what the first step looks like to go first in friendship, can you paint that picture for us? Sure, because I had to be there. (laughs) So first of all, I'll say it's scary. It makes you vulnerable, but uh, you have a choice. I had a choice. My choice was to sit in my house and pray, Lord, send me a friend and never go out my door and then ask God, why aren't you sending me a friend? Or I could open my door. And I could do what Jesus did after his model. I could look outward and I could say, I will go to someone and be a friend. I will go first. I will choose. And so for us, that means somebody out there is waiting for friendship. And my job is to offer it and then trust God to see where it goes. So it could mean picking up the phone and saying, hey, I got little kids. Will you want to do a coffee date? you know, at this place that the kids can play, or you want to come sit on my porch and the kids can play in the yard. It means you taking the initiative with somebody, you know, somebody you want to know, uh, or even rekindling a relationship that you've let smolder a bit. It, It literally just means you take the first step. I like that because you're clearing out any of our excuses, because I'm sure there's different challenges at every phase. So where I may be more likely to meet another mom at the playground, it's very difficult to have deep conversations when you have so many children that are needing your constant attention. And so there are certain obstacles at my phase that I'm sure will be different. When our kids get a little bit older, we may have a whole new set of challenges. That is such a great insight. And we don't only friend people who are at our same place in life. So what a great opportunity to say, Who's somebody that goes to my church or that lives in my community? I've always wanted to know. They're further ahead than I am in life. I would love to have a friendship with them where I really could grow from their experience. 
You don't need to call him a mentor. Call him a friend. That's what a mentor is. It's a friend. Who could you initiate with that wouldn't have that obstacle? Who could come and hang out at your house and have a cup of coffee with you while your kids do their thing in their space? So think creatively. Some of my very best friendships, my richest, deepest friendships are with women who are 30 to 40 years older than I am. And that's not an exaggeration. One of my dearest friends is 101. And I have learned so much from her, but it isn't, it, perhaps the relationship started mentory, but it developed into just this deep friendship of sisters in Christ. And that's what we have to look forward to if we could go first. And your teaching is so compelling, but I'm sure some people still fear taking action in this area. So what are some of the common hesitations that you've heard from your audience that delay or prevent people from pursuing these deep and meaningful friendships? I think part of it uh, is our own expectation of what a friendship should be. You know, the cultural friendship is I need a BFF, somebody I can tell everything to. They'll never betray me. They'll always be available. We can go do cool, fun things together. And they're going to choose me always before they would choose anybody else. That is a recipe for disappointment. We cannot be that for somebody else. And nobody out there can be that for us. So I think that's one of the big obstacles. When we do that, inevitably, we're going to wind up wounded. And then when we're wounded, what do we do? We pull in. We guard that wound. We're careful about ever being wounded again. And so we start this cycle. And all because we had a false expectation of what true, meaningful, uh, life-giving friendship is. If we go back and we think about this model that Jesus said for us, um, and there's so much more in scripture about friendship, but just even that much, if we take it and we look and we see, wait, that's that's not what friendship is. Friendship is uh, an outlet, an expression for me to reveal the love of Christ in other people's lives. That's really where it starts. It is a chance for me to be this walking billboard for who Jesus is as a friend that other people might see them. In comparison to that, I want the BFF to go on girls trip with. Initially, that might feel like a disappointment, but here's what I can promise you. When you walk in the calling to which God has called you for, nothing will be as satisfying. Nothing. You just have to put it to the test. Sorry to interrupt, but we just wanted to remind you to give us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. This helps more people discover the savvy sauce and ultimately hear the good news of Jesus. Thanks for partnering with us. We truly have the kindest and most helpful listeners. When you look at this through a biblical lens, what's your opinion on having different levels of friendship? You know, again, Jesus is a great model for that. If you read through any one of the Gospels, you get this beautiful picture of number one, Jesus availability. I write a devotional for Hope on Demand, and I spent all week this week writing about the availability of God. That's one of his attributes. And it is so beautifully displayed in Jesus's life because he is available, because he's open. Um, it's like a magnet. It just, that is so winsome and compelling that it just draws people in. And we see that it draws people into Jesus, but it draws people in at different levels of commitment. <laughs> you know, there are the people that follow him until something better comes along. And then there are people that follow him and till it got hard to follow him. And then there are the people who just follow him but don't want involvement. But the closer you get in, 
you find that he's also got intimate friends who are committed to him, who are giving into Jesus as Jesus gives into them, who are responding to his transparency with transparency of his own, who are choosing him because he first chose them, who are setting aside their own interests. I think of like Peter, who just walks away from his fishing work to go follow Jesus with his nets full of fish, you know, laying aside their own interests. Those numbers are smaller at the core. And then you get more who are less committed and more who are less committed and more who are even less committed than that. We're going to give to all of them, but we're going to give to all of them at different levels. You know, your friend boat should never be full. If you find three or four friends and you love them and they're cool and you guys have lots in common and you think alike and you like to do the same thing. So you kind of go, you know what? I'm good. I've got my three or four friends. I'm good then I would say to you, that is not Jesus' example of friendship because he never let his friend boat get full. He is available to see what God would do with any one of those relationships. That's all he's asking of us. And so Jesus is our model of being a great friend. He's available and he's inclusive. What other attributes of friendship did you see he modeled in scripture? Um, Jesus said, love each other as I has loved you, right? Um, And then at the end of that, he said, this is my command, love each other. He uses this word for love, agape. There are lots of, we have one word for love, love. I love pizza. I love my cat. I love my mom. In Greek, there were many words, five specifically, that meant love. Jesus chose one, agape, that means divine love. It's not brotherly love. It's not romantic love. It's this very specific kind of love that is divinely inspired. Now he describes how he loves us that way. And what he could have said is, I love you agape with a divine love. Now you go and you phileo, brotherly love other people. But he doesn't, Laura. He raises the bar. He says, I love you with a divine love that comes from God. Now you go be a friend with the same divine love that comes from God. Now, this is great news because there's actually a passage in scripture that defines what agape love looks like. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. When we think about that chapter, the love chapter, we often hear it at weddings. I was at a wedding a week ago and the pastor read that. And it's not that it's inappropriate for a wedding, but it's not about romantic love. It's about divine love. It's about friend love. I hope that this couple will develop divine friend love in their relationship. But it is this very succinct passage that describes exactly what's involved. It says that we can do all of these wonderful things. We can speak with the tongues of angels. We can prophesy. We can have faith. It might even move mountains. And then it says, but you know what? If you don't have love, agape friend love, like Jesus exhibited, if you don't have that, it says, I gain nothing. And then it goes through several things that define what it looks like in practical everyday terms to love someone. And so when you ask, how do we practically go about loving someone? Well, we measure it by these standards, by these applications. And if you go to the Gospels, you'll see that's what Jesus did. So love is patient. Where have I been patient with someone? Where do I need to be patient? Where do I need to wait? Where do I need to hang in there with them? Where do I need to not get frustrated about something about my friend, Martha? (laughs) Love is kind. How can I express kindness 
in my relationship with Martha? What does she need from me that would be a kindness to her? It doesn't envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It doesn't dishonor. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It's not delighted in evil when somebody falls in sin, but it does rejoice in truth. It protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. Each one of those is worth taking time to prayerfully think about and ask the Lord about and even look into his word to discover more about so that you can then live that attribute of divine friend love in practical ways in a friend's life. I love that teaching because then also the conclusion of that little section is love never fails. Which is such a delight, right? Because when you think about friendship, think how many friendships in our lives we would say, oh yeah, that friendship failed for one reason or another. And yet when you apply this kind of love, these are eternal characteristics. They produce something that can outlast even your proximity to your friend. It outlasts our life on earth with our friend. These are eternal connections in relationship that produce eternal fruit. What was it that Jesus said? He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And then he says, love each other. That's how we bear the fruit that will last. Love never fails. How? Bearing this kind of fruit, patience, not in being, not boasting, et cetera, et cetera. And so that just makes me think of all the potential for relationships. So friends in the way that we would think of it, like for me having other girlfriends or my husband Mark having his guy friends. But then also when we look at marriage, so if we consider friendship as a spiritual discipline or as a sacred calling, what potential do you think that has for intimacy levels in our marriage when we're friends with one another? I think this may be one of my favorite things about discovering what true friendship is, is that there is no relationship we have that there cannot and should not be an element of friendship. I had an interview. I am a radio talk show host. and I had an interview with a vascular surgeon. He's been a vascular surgeon for 30 years. And we were talking about brain health. And he said, look, all the things we're going to talk about. I know we're just talking about brain health, but all the things that I'm going to share with you are actually the very things that you need for heart health and you know your health for your for your body weight and all of the other things that you need health for are affected by this that to me is exactly what friendship does there's no part of your life that is not touched by this call to live out this kind of agape love and friendship and so whether it's a relationship with your parent with your coworkers with someone at church or with your spouse I just want you to have a broadened view and understand, man, this applies to everything when you bear fruit in these ways. No, I love hearing that because if you've been around the Savvy Sauce for long, you know how important marriage is to all of us and what we think of it, and especially to have that sweet friendship in marriage. But then I also want to think about this in light of parenting and It wasn't this way growing up, but as an adult now, I would definitely consider my parents some of my best friends. Ideally, someday Mark and I want our daughters to want to be friends with us and with each other. So I'm just feeling this sense of urgency for teaching about gospel friendship. So what do you think this teaching means for us as parents who eventually desire to be friends with our children when they are older? 
I would say one of the gifts that you can give first to your children is to help them understand what God's called them to, what he offers them in his own friendship, and then the gift that they have to be the pursuers and the driver in the friendship car. That is such a gift that can pay dividends in their life and bear fruit, get them through those really hard years and into the kind of adult that will be a gift to other people as well. And then on the other side, yeah, I'm at that place now where all of my kids are adult kids. And so it's such a gift to have a friend relationship with your children, but it doesn't just happen. It is part and parcel to the groundwork that we lay early in life. And so that's not to say that if your your kids are older and you're kind of there and you're feeling distant from your kids, here's some great news. You can begin to apply all of these things into that relationship with your kid. You know, you can begin to um, not dishonor them by treating them as a five-year-old when they're 25. You know, you can be patient with them as they are finding their footing out in life. You cannot be envious when your child is um, choosing their spouse over you in this season of their early marriage. I mean, there are all these ways that we can apply this to lay the groundwork for bearing fruit of love and friendship in our adult kids' lives. But treating your kids this way, specifically as you as they start moving into junior high and high school to begin to apply some of these principles, you'll I, I think what you'll find is that it will smooth out some of those rough spots and give you a new way to view your kids. Well, and when you were writing this book, I know you did a lot of research, and I remember you sharing that loneliness is actually more dangerous than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And I think of all the protection we set in place to train our children to avoid smoking, but even more importantly, maybe we need to be focusing more on training them how to be a friend the way God defines it, not only for the other's benefit, but also just because it's a blessing to live that way as well. And so I guess it's just saying this message is so urgent, and I'd love to hear any other takeaways or lessons that you learned, even as it applies to like going back what you would have done differently once you learned all of this. I think one of the things is to realize that the things that are past are past. Certainly you can learn lessons from them, but they also are are past. If there's a place that you can make amends, then that's a gift too. After I wrote this book, I had somebody who I was better friends with them in the early years when our kids were young. And then, you know, as our kids got older, we headed into different directions and that kind of thing. But I got a text from her after I released the book and she just said, I just want you to know that there is something that you did that really hurt my feelings. And I've been holding a grudge about it for quite a while. And I just wanted you to know that internally, because I've been holding on to this and I never told you that I was wrong and that I'm sorry. And I was able to write back to her and say, please, I would love, please tell me what it is. And it was, it wasn't a huge thing, but it was huge to her. And it was really, it was just an inconsideration on my part. That was a place that I could go back and I could make amends and I could begin to rebuild. I could thank her for not holding a grudge. I could be humble. I could ask for forgiveness. That's a place where I could actually begin to build a bridge again. We can't always do that. 
some relationships that have been damaged or broken, we just have to trust with God. And that's okay. But what we can do is to be able to move forward, to take what has passed and let it teach us something about the relationships in the future. More than anything, though, if we will just be proactive, if we will be, I can't say this enough, if you will just memorize, go first, be transparent, put their interests ahead of your own. If those three things are a mantra that you can remember as you go out to pursue relationships, God will bless it. And this is the other thing I discovered. And I do think it's a delight because it could be running in somebody's head, Laura. Well, that's all great and well, but I'll just be doing everything for everybody. And I already feel like that's all I ever do. I feel like all I do is take care of my family, my kids, my husband, my aging parents. I'm always doing, doing, doing for other people. I just want somebody, a friend to come and be just for me. I wrestled with that too. But here's what I also discovered. It is in the very nature of God to give back, pressed down, shaken together and overflowing. We do not have to scrape and scramble and grab for the good things God wants us to have. All we have to do is walk a path that he's laid out. If he has called us to go first, to be transparent, to lay our interests down, here's what I have experienced myself and what I feel confident in guaranteeing you. It will boomerang back. God will bring it back to you in delights of friendship that also feed your soul in exactly what you need. God will do that for you. And the other thing is, since this is something that God's called you to, he's called you to this kind of friendship, God will not call you to something that he will not help provide for you. Ask him, lay it before him, tell him that you are hungry to walk in these kinds of friendships. Ask him to show you the opportunities, to give you the courage, to smooth the path that you might be the go first girl, that you might be the one who trusts and is transparent so that somebody can show themselves trustworthy, that you would be counted worthy to do something sacrificial for a friend. Ask him for those opportunities. He longs to give you what he himself has called you to do. Wow, Kim, this conversation has been so enjoyable. Where would you direct everyone to find you online and learn more from you? I would love to keep a relationship going, even if it just is a virtual one. You can find me at kimweir.com. It's K-I-M-W-I-E-R, I before E. Um, but you can also go to hopeondemand.com. I love Hope On Demand. I, that is where my Art of Friendship podcast is. Of course, you can also find the Art of Friendship podcast any place that podcasts stream. So I hope you'll subscribe to that. But you can also subscribe on Hope On Demand to my everyday devotional, where we walk through every day building our relationship with God. You can hit subscribe and it'll come to your email because the reality is if we don't develop our friendship first with God so that he's pouring into us, we'll always, always be looking for somebody else to fill up a need that only he can. I was reading in um, Oswald Chambers today, my utmost for his highest. I was so delighted to come across this and I'll just maybe let this be the last thing. It said, he writes, friendship is rare on earth. It means identity and thought and heart and spirit. Fruit bearing is always mentioned as a manifestation of an intimate union with Jesus Christ. When once we get intimate with Jesus, we are never lonely. We can pour ourselves out all the time without being pathetic. I love that. <laughs> Such an encouragement to me. And I hope it encourages you. But 
subscribe to The Art of Friendship, um, subscribe to the Hope On Demand devotional, and we can have these chats every day. Wonderful. We will put links to all of that in our show notes so it makes it easily accessible. And you may know that we're called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge or discernment. And so as my final question for you today, what is your Savvy Sauce? Yeah, I'm going to have to land on the thing that just has been resonating with me for the last two years. Go first. Go first in pursuing God because he's already pursued us. Go first in pursuing other people. Go first in confession. Go first in finding joy. Just go first. Stop waiting and go. For me, that's been the lesson of the last two years. Kim, you are enthusiastic and engaging, and I'm so glad that you're sharing your insights into Scripture with all of us through your book and now through this conversation It's so enjoyable to be in your presence. So thank you for being my guest today. Laura, thanks so much for inviting me. I've just had a delightful time. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news. And I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners. And God is perfect and holy. So he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a savior. But God loved us so much, he made a way for his only son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. 
We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.